Well, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the book of Philippians tonight, and uh, we'll get moving along with uh, chapter 4, getting close to uh, getting uh, to the middle part of this and uh, wrapping up the book of Philippians. Um, and again, the idea and the concept of what we see behind this is that uh, this is talking about the mind of Christ, which every Christian is supposed to have. Um this is a call that we as uh, Christians, the way that we should think, the way that we should uh, orient our mind, the the focus, the purposing that we have in our heart, uh, all of these things are focused upon what we saw over in chapter 2, uh, which is that mind of Christ, which again is the form of a servant uh, that was of no reputation, uh, and it was humble and obedient, and that's uh, that's who Jesus Christ is, and that's what we are called as Christians to be the same. So let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and we will get started this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here, we're thankful again for an opportunity, Lord, to learn from you, to just uh, hear uh, from your word and from your Holy Spirit um, as uh, you teach us tonight. I pray, Lord, that uh, the things of the world would be uh, set aside, that, Lord, we would just focus upon you uh, wholly and uh, purpose in our heart, Lord, to learn from you, that our heart would be uh, be uh, ready to receive whatever it is that you want to give to us, whether it's conviction, whether it's comfort, whether it's peace and hope. But regardless, Lord, whatever it may be tonight, I pray, Lord, that we would each receive something from you um, as we endeavor to please you tonight. And, Lord, I do pray that you would be with me and strengthen me, uh, be with my uh, thoughts, my mind, my voice, that all of this would be honoring and pleasing unto you in your name. This I ask in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so we left off uh, right there around verse uh, 5. And uh, I'm just going to back up a little bit. He had uh, talked about uh, those individuals that that were having some issues. And in verse 4, he begins to kind of walk through how individuals get of the same mind, uh, this this mindset and what it produces. In verse 4, obviously, there is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, uh, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Not sure if we're going to get into verse 8, but we can kind of start looking at that and getting introduced to to that concept. But what we talked about, (coughs) pardon me, Last week was uh, this idea of rejoicing and uh, how we as believers should be doing that. And this is this is a command. This is not uh, something that is an optional thing. It is something that we must endeavor to do. We should always be looking for opportunities to rejoice where God is giving us that opportunity. Oh, obviously, we saw that it's connected with joy being the root word that is there. And it is that joy that is demonstrated outwardly to others. Um, and it's demonstrating where the source, source of that joy comes from. It's back to God. That's the purpose behind what rejoicing is. So this is a principle that we see that has to be followed. He then moves on into verse 5, and this is where we'll start in earnest. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Now, a lot of times people will look at that word and they'll think moderation and they will think as some sort of a balance or um, holding something back in, 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 a, in a small regards. 
But this is more than that. When we, when we actually look at that word, uh, moderation and the word moderate, which is its root, we find that it's not just this balance or anything of that nature, or it's like limiting, uh, uh, to a small amount or something of that nature. God doesn't want you to moderate your sin as in to keep uh, sin at a dull roar. You know, it's okay to have a personal pet sin or he's not saying anything at all like that. Uh, we should strive to be holy. We should strive to be according to, as he's de- told us, to, to be as perfect as we can according to his righteousness. And again, uh, fulfilling his will and doing what he wants. Sin should not be part of us. Uh, we, we see that very clearly, um, uh, that principle uh, outlined in the book of Romans, that we're saved, and yes, we have uh, salvation from that punishment of sins, but it's not for us to go about continuing in sin. Uh, that sin should not be part of our life. Uh, sin must be removed. It must be avoided at all costs. So our decisions, our mindset, our, our thought processes, our heart, our affections should be sin-free. We should treat it, um, and again, this is kind of fitting for me, we should treat it as a severe anaphylactic allergy reaction that, that uh, we want to avoid it at all costs. When somebody has a serious allergy, they avoid those things that could cause possible harm or death. So we as Christians, we should avoid that and, and try to make sure that we are free from those things. So when we're talking about this moderation, we're talking about uh, to be moderate as in the restraint of sin, to, to moderate. When somebody comes about and they are doing a moderation of something, they're restraining parties. They're making sure that one side is fulfilling their obligations, the other side is fulfilling theirs. They come in between and they try to make sure that nobody is going to infringe where they shouldn't infringe in anything of that nature. So what we have to do is is let this moderation be known to all men. It means that we should make sure that we are restraining any sin that wants to try to get into our life. If you go over there to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're in verse 5, where he starts talking about casting down vain imaginations. And he says, bringing every thought into captivity. Now, when we bring thoughts into captivity, they are being restrained. So when we are talking about this moderation here, we're talking about that people should see that we are moder- that we have a, a, a lifestyle that we are moderating sin away from us. We're restraining it. We're keeping it at bay. We do not want it. And people shouldn't understand that that is how we behave as a Christian. And now, again, this is something that we see that is an outward uh, demonstration. So this is the concept. Here we are as Christians, and it's it's very much a spiritually oriented uh, a lifestyle. Uh, if you do not have a spiritually oriented Christian lifestyle, uh, you're going to struggle. Obviously, we see what happens when we have a, a carnal, fleshly lifestyle. When we're a Christian, we bring a lot of things upon ourselves. But what we find is that if we are following the Spirit, we are walking after the Spirit as we should be, then the one thing that we're going to to demonstrate in our life is an outward show of that. Now, again, this is not a performance. We're not doing this as a pharisaical thing. The Pharisees were more concerned on the outward apparel, uh, the traditions that they were keeping, and as Christ pointed out, their insides were just filthy. 
They were, they were, they were filled with dead men's bones. He, he, he repeatedly pointed out that the problem was that they had sin in their heart, but on the outward, they seemed to be religious. Now, this is what God does not want. He doesn't want people to seem to look religious. He wants people to truly act as in pure religion is defined according to James, where he's talking about caring for the fatherless and the widows and to keep ourselves spotted, uh, unspotted from the world. Meaning that we don't allow it to have that effect on us. That we don't allow it to cause uh, uh, any type of blemish. He wants us to make sure, to make sure that our lifestyle is, is pure and is holy, is clean, is righteous, is just, is perfect. Now again, these are all things that God tells us that we should be striving to do. And it is. It's going to be a day-to-day battle. It's going to be an hour-to-hour battle. But what we find when we are doing that in a spiritual mindset, when we have our heart fixed upon Christ and we are affected only by those things that are in heaven, that is that is the Holy Spirit, that is um, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God, that is his holy word, when those things have an affection on us, it is going to naturally produce an outward result, an outward demonstration. There will be something different that somebody is going to see. Because eventually you're going to stop doing those things that you used to do that were sinful. You're going to have conviction. You're going to, 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 to feel that prick of the Holy Spirit saying, you ought not be doing those things. You're going to, to, to sit in a, in, a, in a message, in a sermon, or listen to something that you're on, you know, online or, or just reading the Word of God and, and something strikes you that you know that you have to make a change in your life. So as we see this going on, we see that this is something that should be demonstrated to people. Your Christianity should never be hidden. And this is what the world wants today. The world today wants you to keep your religion out of it. They don't want it in government. They don't want it in the uh, in schools. They don't want it in outdoor public displays. They don't want it. They're like, well, as long as you do it in your own home, that's fine. We don't care. But we don't want to see it. But God here is making it very clear. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. We're not just talking about uh, around believers. We're not just talking around the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just talking about when we're in church. We're talking about everyone, our friends, our family, our, 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 our co-workers, uh, those that we have association and acquaintances with, uh, those that, that, uh, that uh, demonstration will have an impact on. And again, it should not be feigned, as in it's a, a, you know, it's, a, it's a forced fakery. It's something that should be genuine and real. Because if it's not genuine and real, then we are going to have uh, uh, something to answer for. God wants us to demonstrate it in a way that clearly points back to him. You take a look at the mind of Christ that's over there in chapter 2. If you turn back over there in chapter 2, where he says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even unto, even to the death of, or the death of the, the cross. And it says, wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. 
Now, obviously, we see that he was doing this for a specific reason. You go over and you see what Jesus Christ said about his ministry on earth. He said he came to do the will of the Father. And as a demonstration to us, that is how we operate in this Christian life. We are here to do the will of God. Revelation 4.11 says that we are to please him. Uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 says that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus Christ tells his disciples over in the gospel of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, we very clearly see what God's purpose and intent is, is that we would know the will of God and we would also be able to do that will of God through him unto, and again, demonstrating it unto all men. Christianity is not a closet religion. It's not something that is simply, you know, put aside and, 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 and dealt, you know, if you will, buried somewhere. What it is, is it's clearly demonstrated to the world that we are gods. We're bought with a price. You know, you, you, you buy things, right? Let's say, I mean, you, you, you buy, you buy a phone, you buy a phone, uh, any old phone. And this one very clearly has, you know, Samsung written on the back of it. it says it right there. You open it up and it says Samsung, everything of that nature. I happen to have a, a stapler here and it's got swing line written right on the top of it. Well, 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 why is that? Those are all things that are demonstrating who has made that, who, who manufactured it for its use. As believers, and I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want to get into this, you know, the kind of that mentality that some people are talking about God's or Jesus Christ brand or anything like that. I'm talking about we should be demonstrating it. If, a, if man puts their name on a, on, a, on a stapler that we use every single day, then we as believers who are bought with a price, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, then we should at every single day let people know who we believe and who we follow. This is what he's talking about when we're talking about this moderation. Not only are we talking about moderation as far as keeping the sin at bay and things of that nature, but we're talking about our will. Because often our will is in conflict with God's will. We want to do what we want to do, and then up comes pride. And we think we're going to do it, and we're going to do it this way, and we're going to handle it this way, and God says, no, that is not how you're going to do it. You need to do it this way. So what we do is we restrain. I mean, he, he tells us that we're supposed to mortify our members. We're supposed to put our flesh down. We're supposed to die daily, if you will, crucify that flesh, crucify those sins, get, get, get it out of our lives. We're supposed to do this on a day-to-day basis, and it is us that sometimes needs to be restrained. You ever see the kid in the store that was never restrained? Oh, man, alive. You know, um, I haven't uh, thankfully seen one in a long time, um, but, uh, you know, I guess pre-COVID it was kind of, kind of common, but you see some of those, uh, some of those kids that were unrestrained and they're throwing temper tantrums and they're on the floor pounding their fists and screaming and crying and, and just, I mean, shrieking in terror and everybody around them, you know, you can see that the pain as their eardrums are bursting 
from it, and, and, and you can just see some of the horror, but that is a child that has not been restrained. What does the Bible say about a child that has been left to himself? We, we, we understand that God makes it very clear that we as children of God have to have some restraint exercised in our life. You have to teach children restraint. You have to teach children restraint. If not, when they hit, you know, the age where they're out on their own and they don't understand anything about restraint or as we're talking about in the book of Ecclesiastes, anything about finances or anything of that nature. And they go out and then what do they do? They, they, they run up uh, their credit cards, they run up their credit and then they, they just go crazy. And then, and then comes the bills. They start coming due. Right now, the, the, the post-millennial generation has the highest uh, um, percentage of repossession of vehicles. Right now, that's them. They have the highest uh, 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 amount. When we begin to understand that concept, that they don't know how to spend money, then, then we understand that they have not been restrained. They have not taught how to be restrained. And this is exactly what God is saying. He's saying this has to be made known. And why is that? Because the Lord is at hand. Right there in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. You know what that means? That means that the Lord is coming soon. Now, he's obviously a lot closer than he was yesterday. And yes, I understand that, you know, people have been saying he's been coming for a long time, and, and Peter addresses that in his letters that are over there. But I will tell you this, that, that the end times began when Jesus Christ went up into heaven, and things began to happen here with the body of Christ, the church. And it's been happening for a few thousand years now. But we knew that, and he told us that. So what we begin to understand with this concept is, is that as the Lord gets, as he gets that, that mindset of him getting closer and closer to his return should truly affect our hearts and the way we think in that I want to please the Lord because I'm not going to have an opportunity after I'm out of here. What am I doing for the Lord right now with what he has done for me? This mindset where he says the Lord is at hand is again reminding them saying, Hey, you know, um, we, we, we want to make sure that we remember he is coming back. You know, again, we, we, we get excited about, com- you know, him coming back. I mean, you know, again, you got any health problems? Everybody, everybody, when I say Jesus Christ is coming back soon, everybody says amen, right? But what we begin, <coughs> excuse me, what we begin to understand is that regardless of, of when he is going to come back, we still have a job to do. We don't just get to sit back and just look up to the sky and go, okay, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We say, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, as we are working, as we are laboring. Because you find that very clearly as the mindset of Christ, he was the form of a servant. Here he is, a servant unto those that were there. I mean, he he washed the disciples' feet. He was a servant unto God. I mean, he did all of those things as a demonstration to us of what we should be doing. The whole, the whole gospel of Mark is about him as a servant. It portrays him in a servant's role. 
Because you see, it just immediately begins with his, his ministry. It, it, there, I mean, it just, it just starts. You go over to the book of Matthew and it talks about, you know, all of the, the, um, uh, the prophecy and it talks about him, uh, uh, it talks about Mary, it talks about Joseph, it talks about his birth and go over to Luke and it says the same thing and it talks about the genealogy in Matthew, uh, from the line of Joseph that shows he has the right to the throne in the book of Luke. It shows it from the line of Nathan who was one of David's uh, uh, sons, uh, the other one, uh, with, uh, Solomon is from Solomon, or excuse me, with, uh, uh, with, uh, Joseph was from Solomon. But we find over there that, uh, Mary's lineage comes directly from Nathan, uh, from David, which means that very clearly, uh, there's still a right and an heir to the throne, which is his coming kingdom that we're looking forward to. All of those things. But, and, and then John, which of course portrays him as God. It just, it starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the beginning. There's no, it's not talking about the flesh part of it, like Luke is. It's not talking about the the, the royalty, as Matthew is. It's talking about his deity. But what do we find over there in the book of uh, Mark? Mark, it just like, starts right into his ministry. Just, I mean, just bam, right into it. There's no... There's no introduction. It's just boom right into it. Why? Because nobody really concerns themselves with the lineage of a servant. It's not that important. He made himself of that no reputation so that he would serve. And this is why we need to remember that. We still have to have that servant mindset so that we are serving Christ until he comes back, or till we're not here. One of the other. One of the other. As we go back over there to, to Philippians chapter uh, 4, we see there, he, he begins to again start talking about this mindset. In verse 6, he says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Now, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people sometimes get a little concerned with that statement, but what this is basically asking, and, and if you will, prodding into our heart is, what is it that we care about the most? What is it that we care about the most? See, we burden ourselves with a lot of cares of this world. And here, Paul is basically telling us, don't care about it. Now, again, he's not saying throw caution to the wind and, you know, don't, don't pay your bills and things like that. He's not saying that. He's not saying that, uh, you know, you go live in a, in a hermit's hut in the middle of the forest or something of that nature. That's, that's again, that's not, that's not the will of God. But what we find is, is we find he says, be careful for nothing. Meaning our care should be focused on something else. In this world, we're going to have this, uh, this, uh, uh, this desire for all of these things. People, uh, people are going to have certain desires for, for whatever it may be. People often, uh, as I've talked about before, they have various idols in their lives that they're not aware of. When people put their careers before God, they're, therein lies an idol. When people put their family before God, Therein lies an idol. I've seen it where people put spouses before. I've seen it where they put children before. I've seen it where people have put friends before God. 
They put all sorts of things. Now, now, obviously, we, we, when we think idols, we think of a physical thing sometimes, and we think of, you know, somebody that gets a, a nice car, and to them it becomes an idol or something of that nature. But this is this is more than that. This is this is where 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 we as Christians we have to make sure that we understand exactly what it is we are, are demonstrating care towards. If all, as I've said before, if all of our resources are focused on God, it doesn't leave anything else to, to, to be taken over. And people get into that mindset, as I've said before. You, you've got a hundred percent of your resources right here, and then somebody comes along and they says, "Well, I'm just going to give that ten percent to God, and, and 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 that's it. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know just have that that, that Sunday mentality, and and I'm just going to try to live for Jesus through the rest of it. But that ninety percent, that's my life, and I'm going to live that how God wants, you know, how I want to to live it as quote unquote godly as I can. Well, that's not the right mindset. Because that leaves 90% open and available for sin to come in. Those are open resources. So it shouldn't just be 10%. It should be 100%. Doesn't he say that he wants all of you? What did Jesus Christ say was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all, all, not some, but all. Anything else that is occupying those resources is considered a parasitic, idolatry, sin. And we have to address it accordingly. So we have to look at our lives and we have to begin to to, to engage, okay, what is it that I care about? And here he is, he's saying, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Because what happens is, is when we care about it, we worry about it. We worry about it. You know, we can identify people sometimes as worry warts. Uh, but, but let's just face it. Based on the amount of times that God said, uh, uh, fret not in scripture, <laughs> I think it's a human condition. I think it's a human problem. What do we do? We sit there and worry. We fret. Well, what are we going to, what am I going to do if gasoline hits $10 a gallon? What, what, what am I going to do if, 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 if I lose my job? What am I going to do if I lose my home? What am I, now look, all of those things are concerns, but he says the appropriate way to address them. Now, now this is what I love about the scriptures is because scripture will tell you, don't do this. And then it will turn around and it'll say, do this. This is exactly what he's doing here. He does that in Ephesians chapter four. He says, he says, uh, um, you know, don't lie, tell the truth. He says, don't steal, but give. Those are, those are opposites. One is sinful behavior. One is godly behavior. And we know which one is which, but the same thing is here. When we are so concerned and we are worried about it, we've got all of these, these things that we, 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 we bring upon stress to ourselves. When I was in college and I was taking abnormal psychology, <clears throat> I was listening to, to them talk about stressors in, in, in life. And they were talking about that generally most people can only handle about three stressors in their life before they start snapping. 
And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, and, and, uh, again, this is from modern psychology, uh, mentality. Okay. Um, and, and they were talking about what would be considered stressors, starting a new job, getting married, uh, starting a new relationship, um, uh, moving, um, uh, changing schools, um, you know, a health condition that comes up, a financial problem or something of that nature. And they say that generally most people can, look, I know many people that can't even handle one. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Uh, we, we get some of the big ones and, and that just seems to dominate our life. But this is what God says. He says, that's not the mindset. That's not the mindset. I mean, look, let's, let's face it. We're never going to face the amount of stress that Christ faced when he was heading to the cross. Nobody is. Have you had so much stress that you actually sweated, as it were, great drops of blood? No. I mean, there may be times where we were pleading for the Lord to let the cup pass, but... But were you facing taking on the entire amount of sin of the world, past, present, and future? We can't even bear our own sins. We get discovered with a sin in our life. What do we do? We run and hide. We're like those little dog videos where, where you know, somebody comes home and finds the pillows all ripped to shreds and they start looking around for the dog and the dog's over in the corner going like this. <laughs> you know, like that's how we are. When, 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 when something comes and the Holy Spirit points out and says, thou art the man, and we just kind of like, you know, we cower and hide. We can't even bear our own sins. How would we bear anyone else's? How would we bear the brutality that's there? Some of us get a paper cut and it's the end of the world. You know, it, 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 we, we have to be very honest with ourselves and realize the, the, the things that happen in this life, that we are going to face tribulation, we are going to face persecution, we are going to face affliction, we are going to face problems. That's why God said, you know, those things, what they do is they work to build patience in your life. And patience is something that pleases God. Patience is also directly connected to wisdom. So we begin to realize that this is necessary for us in this life. And here he is saying, look, I, I, I don't want you to focus on that. Because there we are, we're focusing, and if you will, this kind of this negative thing, be careful for nothing. And he says, I want you to replace that with a biblical behavior. Here's the biblical behavior. And he says that very clearly. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. When you have a problem, don't wait to pray about it. Regardless of what it is, don't try to take it on yourself. Don't care so much that it becomes, uh, it becomes overwhelming to you. You pray about it. And he gives a very specific way to go about doing that. You know, our, 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 our continual care, uh, uh, for, for things of this world is going to just remove our, 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 the, the mind of our, of our heart from the concerns of Christ. We've got to understand that. 
The more time you spend worrying about something is the is a, is time that you could have spent giving God praise and glory for what he's already done for you. You're like, well, it's not that simple. It's uh, but uh, no, it look. Here he just said, I don't want you to be concerned about these things. What I want you to do is just pray and I want you to bring that request to me. But I want you to pray in a certain way. I mean, does not the Bible say the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? There's Elijah praying for six months so that no rain would come on Israel so that Israel would change its heart and get back to God, even though he knew it was going to affect him as well. He was willing to go through the same affliction he was praying for for Israel. fighting over water, trying to make sure all of that. And what did the Lord do for Elijah? Elijah was provided for time and time and time and time again. Throughout his entire ministry, we see how the Lord provided and cared for him. But here we are, you know, when we are so concerned about these things that we are not, you know, worry is going to take time away from God. The more you sit and fret, the less time you're going to have to read the Bible. The more time that you sit there and contemplate what you think your plan is going to be, guess what happens? The less time you have to meditate on what God's is, what his plan is, and how that's going to give him glory. Because that's the idea behind it. Everything that we do should be bringing glory and praise and honor to our Savior. And if it doesn't, well, it shouldn't be part of our life. So as we go through this and we begin to see here, he says specifically, I want you to pray in everything. Look at what he says there in, in, in verse 6. But in everything. But in everything. Not just some. Look, I will be the first to admit that there are times that I will sit down and I will go, you know, I, I can get this. This isn't a big, big issue. I, I don't need to pray about it. Well, didn't he just say, I want you to pray about it, everything? Everything. Well, he doesn't mean everything. Well, what does that mean then? See, see, here's the, here's the issue. It's, it's all or nothing with God. It's all or nothing with Christ. He gave his all on the cross for us because we couldn't give anything. And here we are as Christians today, and sometimes we we hold things back from God as if we're going to handle it, as if we're going to take care of it, and things of that nature. Now, everything that you have in your life, you should pray about. You wake up in the morning and you've got a, a business to run or you're managing a department, pray about it. You wake up in the morning and and, and you've got uh, um, children that you're going to take care of and tend to and a, and, and a family and a spouse, pray about them. You're going to get up and you're going to get on the freeway on I-5 or 205, pray about it. Really pray about it. <laughs> because they're driving like, <laughs> pray about it. Everything. See, we don't get into that mindset. I mean, he said, pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing. So here we are in everything. 
You know, God, God wants that relationship with you. And a relationship like that in your life is going to be much more significant than an on and off acquaintance with God. Yeah, there's so many people that I, I, I hear, oh yeah, yeah, me and God, we're, 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 we're good. We have an understanding. He allows me to do certain things that are sinful and he, he's okay with it. I'm like, um, I don't know who told you that, but it wasn't God. Oh no, I'm pretty sure it was. No, 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 it wasn't because it contradicts scripture and he will not contradict himself. God is not a man that he should lie. He's not going to tell one person over here, it's okay to do this sin, and then tell this person over here, it's not okay. He doesn't work that way. But what we find here is we find that in everything, specifically everything, prayer should be at the forefront. The more we do that, the less we will care about those things, because now the care is in God's hand. Now the care is in God's hand. And this is what we have to do. And, and, and again, there's a certain mindset that he goes about with this. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. By prayer and supplication. That supplication, that, that, that is petitioning God in humility. That's petitioning God in humility. Now sometimes there are prayers that, that, that are, like I've said, the Peter prayer. Lord, save me. Sometimes there are the prayers of, of, uh, of I've been caught, I'm, you know, in a bad situation, and there is this kind of pseudo-repentance like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Uh, sometimes there are prayers uh, that we would do, that God would make and manifest what we want instead of what God wants in our life. Those are always dangerous ones. But, but, but here, here, here's the issue. When it comes to a supplication, it is a humble petitioning. It is humble petitioning. You don't come in and say, well, Lord, look at what I've done for you. Look at all of these things that I, I, I've accomplished on your behalf. Look at how great I am. Look at all of this. Look at these things. Look at, uh, look at me, Lord. That's not, that is not, that's not supplication. But when we come to God and we are humble and we petition him, like Paul did, he came three times to the Lord about that thorn in the flesh, and God said no. And he, in humility and humbleness, accepted that answer. He accepted that answer, and he he received that with thanksgiving. I mean, what happens when you tell a child no? You know, or sometimes an adult. I mean, there you are. You've just made this fresh batch of chocolate chip cookies. They're all hot right off the oven. They're all gooey, warm, and 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 you know you've got some fresh vanilla ice cream in the in the the the, the freezer, and and it's just right there. All you have to do is get a scoop, put it right there with that cookie, and it's going to melt together and make a gooey mess. And you're just going to indulge yourself. And you come up and you go, "Can I have one of those cookies?" And the person that made the cookies looks at you and goes, "No." How do we often respond? Uh, why? Uh, stamp our little foot. <laughs> we, 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 we get, we get humbled, don't we? 
When we are told no, we we don't like being told no. We thrust out our lip. We we don't like it. When God says no, whether it's not now or no ever, you will never have that. Can we be fine with that answer? Can we give God thanks for that answer? Can we be content in that answer? If our contentment is solely in Christ, then yes. Just like Paul. No, I'm not going to remove that thorn in your flesh. And Paul's like, okay. Doesn't bring it up. But when we're petitioning and we're asking and we're asking and we're asking and we're doing it in humility, not demanding from God. Not, not, not treating him like he's, he, 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 he's, uh, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, ATM or, uh, uh, a, a vending machine or whatever it is and, and we come up and we demand it. We see people do that today with, with, with uh, um, with businesses. They come in and they demand something. They'll demand something that's not on the menu or they'll demand a product that is no longer available and they'll demand this and they'll demand that. And it's like, there's nothing that can be done. And they just make a, a, a if you will, a fool of themselves. And eventually it winds up on the internet. And the end result is, is people look at them and they just shake their heads and go, wow. But we need to be careful with that because many times we do that. So what do we have to do? When we're in prayer and we're in supplication, we have to have the thanksgiving associated with it. Now, this is the interesting thing. With prayer and and supplication, we pray. But here's the question. Do we pray with thanksgiving? What I mean by that is sometimes people will say, well, I, I start off my prayer by giving thanks to God. I thank him for what I have. I thank him for my salvation. I thank him for... Uh, my family, I thank him for all that he's given to me. I thank him for all those things. That's good. Absolutely, you should do that. You should praise him every single day for every one of those things without fail. Okay? That's an absolute must in your life. But when you pray and you supplicate with thanksgiving, it means that you're praying and you're asking humbly of that petition, giving God thanks for whatever the answer is before you have it. Before you have it. No, it's beyond. I, I, you know, I'll talk about myself. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll pray and, 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 and I won't maybe do that with Thanksgiving and I'll, I'll just, I'll pray and then it's kind of this mindset of, well, if it comes to fruition, then God gets the thanks. No. So if the answer is no, he doesn't get thanks. If the answer is wait, he doesn't get thanks. No, we we come to the Lord and we come rather than caring about all of those things. We we we, if you will, we turn it over to Him. We say, Lord, uh, this is this is your problem. Uh, I I know you have the answer to it. Uh, Lord, show me the answer. Show me your will. Demonstrate it to me. Uh, give me guidance. Give me instruction. Show it for me from your word. Give me somebody in my life that is going to help instruct me and edify me and correct me where necessary. That, Lord, I would fulfill and accomplish all of your will with a holy and perfect heart. 
And then we say, and Lord, regardless of whatever happens and however it happens, Lord, thank you. Thank you for just listening. Thank you for just hearing me. Thank you for even just acknowledging the prayer. Now, again, we know from Scripture that he thinks about us every single moment more than we think about him probably in a year. It's un, it's innumerable. You can't number how often God is thinking about you. So, you know, when we think about that, do we just give God thanks for it? And we say, Lord, well, whether it comes to fruition or not, Lord, I just want to do your will. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I can come boldly in front of your throne because of your grace. Thank you that you're going to answer this one way, shape or form. Whether it's according to my will or whether we throw my will out or whatever it is. And if my will happens to match what your will is, Lord, you know, I'll give you praise for that. And if it doesn't and my will is wicked and evil, then I got to deal with that. I'm going to praise you for that as well. I'm going to praise you that you corrected me. I'm going to praise you for all of that. That will change your mindset. See, it's those little actions done on a day-to-day basis with the little things in life that make the biggest change for Christ in you. If you just start and you purpose to do that, your Christian walk will be very different than it was yesterday. There will be a big distinct change. There will be a big distinct change. Turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 28, Psalm chapter 28, and in verse 2, I I want to point this out, here he is um, uh, praying, and and in verse 1 it says, unto thee I will cry, O Lord, my rock, be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. He's, He's craving to hear something from God. When's the last time you prayed to God, I want to hear you? I don't want to hear myself. I want to hear you. And here he says, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands towards thy holy oracle. This is a very interesting verse. Because when you begin to realize what that oracle is about, that's talking about the speaking and the words of God. And here he is making this uh, this statement, and he says, I know you're going to hear me. I know this is going to happen. And he says, when, when I cry unto you, but also at the same time, when when my hands are lifted up to this book, to Scripture. To the words of God. That's what an oracle was. An oracle was somebody that was responsible for speaking the things that, that was of Christ. Ahithophel, before he, he, he turned bitter against David and wanted him murdered, he, it said that his counsel was as if it was the oracles of God, as if, as if God was talking through him. You could hear what God wanted. That's how good his counsel was right up until the point of where he got bitterness and then he fled from the word of God. And the end result is he went down a pit of despair and he hung himself because somebody did not listen to his advice. 
And it was specifically how to overthrow King David. And Ahithophel, he, he, he thought he had a reason to be. Because again, he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Wow. So when we think about this just for a minute, we think about here's where God's telling us when we go to his word, when we're praying about it and we're seeking the request, we're going to hear these things. We know he's going to hear this. But 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 we we want to enter into this mindset that we're praying with this 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 mentality. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, obviously we know that's talking about the armor of God. He goes through in details every single element of the armor of God. It talks about the feet, it talks about the loins, it talks about the breastplate, the helmet, the shield, and the sword. All of these things that were necessary, that are necessary for us as Christians, as Christian soldiers, to fight the daily fight, to, to, to go through it. And every single piece that we see here is supplied by God through his word. So what we see in the same form is, again, you can have a soldier has all the best equipment in the world, but if they don't have the, the right morale, they will be defeated. They will be defeated. Again, you, you go back and you take a look at what happened in the Six-Day War. The, the Israelis had the morale to beat those armies that had surrounded them. They didn't have the right morale. They were, they, they, they had the best equipment. I mean, they had top of the line night vision fighting devices. I mean, they had some of the best stuff in the world at the time. And here, here, here they are driving around in these things from World War II and, and, you know, things held together as, you know, with bailing wire and duct tape and as best as they can. And they're going out there and they're just, I mean, they, they went all the way to the door of Damascus and all the way to the point where they could see the, 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 the pyramids of Egypt. And then, of course, the world said, no, you can't go that far. You got to give all that land back now. And they, they did. They kept, they, but they kept the West Bank and they kept uh, the Gaza Strip and the, uh, um, and the Golan Heights. But one thing that we very clearly see is they had the right morale. They had the right morale. And this is what this armor of God talks about. And he says in this, uh, in this, uh, passage, in verse 13, he says, wherefore take unto you, in Ephesians chapter 6, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, they may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Meaning the whole, it means all. As in every piece. You don't go to battle without a sword, you don't go to a battle without a shield, you don't go to a battle without a helmet. I mean, the U.S. Army quickly, the military realized that in the Vietnam conflict. Most of the, the, the injuries that they had received were because uh, uh, GIs were not wearing their helmets in combat. They were wearing ball caps or uh, bandanas or, you know, little floppy bonnie caps or whatever else, but they weren't wearing their helmets. So they had a tremendous amount of head trauma wounds come back. And then what did they start mandating? Wear your helmet. Wear your helmet. They got, they grew lax because of it. But the end result was, as they said, wear your helmet. So it's the whole armor. It's all of it. You gotta wear all of it. And he says, as you go through this in verse 14, he says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. But then notice, that punctuation leaves it open for the next verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know what it is? It's praying for your other soldiers. It's praying for those that are around you. It's praying to God with humility. It's praying. That's the morale of the Christian soldier. That's the mindset of the Christian soldier. Again, you can have all the best equipment, but if you don't have the mind to enter into that fight, because you don't have a connection and a communication line directly to God himself through prayer, you are going to be a casualty on the battlefield. You will fall. You will stumble. So God's saying here very clearly, these things are necessary. So we go back over there to Philippians, where again, he's talking to this church, and he says, look, here, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What do we do? Again, the idea of thanksgiving. The idea of constantly being there uh, with that mindset of giving him thanks. Uh, over there in First Thessalonians in chapter 5, not only does it say to pray without ceasing, but in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and in verse, uh, pardon me, verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I always like to talk about that when somebody says, Well, I want to know what the will of God for my life is. Be thankful. Very first and foremost, be thankful. Because if you're not thankful for what you have now, then you're not going to understand what you're going to get in the future. It's just the way it works. That's the will of God. The will of God is not some unknowable thing. It's very knowable. And here he says, what is that in everything give thanks? This is the same mindset that he's giving with the, the Thessalonians that here he is giving to the, the, the Philippians. And he's saying, look, this is how you enter into it. And when you're making your requests known to God, you're praying, you know, again, here, you're, 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 you're this care is going solely to God. He cares for you. So we should be focused on what he wants in our life. These cares, he knows all of that. He knows all of that. So if something comes up, one of these things, what do we do? We pray, we supplicate with thanksgiving, and we make it known unto God. Now, I find it interesting that he says that, and we'll close with this here in just a minute, but he says, make your your requests made known unto God. Have you ever gone to someone else before you go to God and make the request known to them before you asked God? I am so guilty of doing that. My, my whole, my, my youth, my, my young adult life, man, it was, it was all about me. It was all about what I wanted to do. It was all about how I was going to do this and how was I going to do that. All of that. It was me, 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 me. And God was, you know, I knew God, you know, I knew I had a Bible, I had truth, I had some doctrinal background. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. So when it came to, to seeking advice for career, 
when it came to seeking advice for how to do things in my life, I would go to somebody else. I wouldn't go to God. It led me into some pretty dark paths. Some pretty bad places. So, the idea behind this is we make our requests known unto him. Unto him. The very first thing that you do when something comes up that you kind of get that little twinge of anxiety, you get that twinge of worry, you get that twinge of of, of starting to fret, the first thing you do is you pray. Humbly, with thanksgiving, and you let God know about the request. Now look, don't, don't, don't get this mindset of, well, he already knows. Yeah, he does. He does. But he wants you to talk to him. He doesn't want a one-sided conversation. He wants a relationship with you. These people that get into this, this, this idea of who they think God is, and they get into this mindset of, well, God's just this dictator. Well, have you ever had a conversation with him? You're like, well, I don't have an audible conversation. Look, I get it. I understand. But I will tell you this. You can find the answers in the Word of God. You can find the instruction in the Word of God. You can find what God leads you into in the Word of God. He puts people in your life that will teach you and will show you. I mean, have we ever had that happen? Where we're just like, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh Lord, Lord, help me with this. I don't know. I just, Lord, I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. There's a knock on the door and there's the answer. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know what that is? That is the That is the miraculous hand of God working in your life. Don't ever disregard that. Don't ever treat that as some sort of secondary thing. Relish every moment of it, including if it is an answer that says no. You be thankful for it. You be thankful for it. Now next week we'll pick up uh, in verse 7. And what's very clear about this is when we're rejoicing and we're letting our moderation be known, we're having that mindset and we're obviously uh, not having, you know, filled with the worry and the cares of this world, but we're praying and we're supplicating with thanksgiving uh, to, to, to our Savior. And you know what happens? Peace. Peace. The world wants peace. The world can't find peace. But a Christian has peace readily accessible to them at all times. It's right there. It's right there. And you can have as much peace as you are willing to take. Because God will give it to you. God will give it to you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If you let the Holy Spirit work in your life, fruit of peace will be there. That will be in your life. So we'll talk about that a little bit more, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for what you've uh, taught us this evening, Lord. I thank you again for these passages. Lord, even though we got through only a couple verses, Lord, I pray that uh, the things that we've heard, the things that are from you, the things that are from your scripture 
are things that will truly guide us and direct us into your paths and into your will in our day-to-day lives. Thank you again for those that are here uh, this uh, evening. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just uh, take them home safely. Lord, again, that uh, that I just pray that they would just continue to grow in you, that each one of us, Lord, would edify, comfort, and encourage. And these things I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.